Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. Today I'm talking with Sam Kimberly, facilitator of the Creative Life Scholars, which offers a new spin on the traditional book group. Rather than reading a book and coming together at the end for a discussion, the scholars read each chapter one at a time and complete the exercises together, which makes for a richer experience and helps keep members on track and engaged, and not skipping the exercises like a lot of us, myself included, tend to do. Sam and I talk about the importance of permission, how we're educated as potential factory workers rather than creative beings, how we lose ourselves when we cut ourselves off from our creative pursuits, and so much more. She mentions quite a few books and resources, so be sure to check out the links in the show notes for all the details. Here's our conversation. Sam Kimberly, I'm so glad you're here today, and I'm so eager to hear your story. And I, you know, anywhere that you would like to start, I don't know if you started out when you were a kid or if this is something that you landed on later or, you know, it's your story. So I'll let you tell it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here too. Um, I, so I'll start with um, kind of where, when I, basically when I found the Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast, Mm -hmm. I was in, so I had been on the hamster wheel of education for a really long time. I have a master's degree. I have a lot of education in my past and I, um, you know, was doing all the things that you're supposed to do and fitting very well into the square Mm -hmm. and into the box, you know, how they, you know, the the metaphor. So then, um, I was, I was doing really well. I was running a nonprofit and it just wasn't, I was becoming really burnt out Mm -hmm. and I felt like, it wasn't resonating with me the way that it should. And I found Kathy's podcast one night when I was by myself, my husband was out of town for work and I was just looking for a podcast to listen to. It was one evening and I found don't keep your day job. And I listened to Kathy talk about doing your life's work and it resonated so deeply with me that I just couldn't go back. I started binge binge listening to it. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I had an awakening. I went out to Walgreens in the middle of the night and bought a bunch of stuff to make a vision board. And (laughs) it was like 11 o'clock. I went nuts. Like I just went completely like when you have that kind of awakening moment, that's just like, it gives you the permission to be like, I don't have to be here anymore. I don't have to be struggling with my life. I don't have to be resisting this. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have that moment, it's like, you just want to start living your new life immediately. You want to figure out what it is. You want to figure out what your thing is so that you can just keep go start doing it. Right. So that's what I started to do. Um, I, I, at that time she was really publicizing. So this was back in January of 2019. So Mm -hmm. it's been over a year. And, um, I, at that time she was really pushing these local meetup groups. And, um, so I found the local meetup group for me and I joined them. And that was the, it was a huge step for me. 
because mm-hmm. I started to really develop a creative community. Mm-hmm. And um, they helped me really dig into what I wanted to do next. And I thought the first thing I thought about was what I'm good at, right? Because mm-hmm. it's an easy place to start. And I've always been good at writing. So I thought maybe I'll start a blog. Mm-hmm. So I started to go down that path and it just didn't resonate with me at all. And, you know, it just wasn't clicking the way that I thought it would. Okay. So um, I, I even spent the money on the website. I started to develop it. It just wasn't going anywhere. So um, I thought again, right? So you go back to the drawing board and you start, you just think more. And um, the advice was given to me to think about what I loved in childhood. Mm-hmm. What was I good at? What did I love in childhood? And I was reminded of the fact that I love polymer clay. And I hadn't touched clay in years, but I've always loved clay. So I, you know, now knowing and understanding to follow my curiosity, which is so important, I think, in living a creative life is having that curiosity and following it and respecting it and understanding it. Um, I allowed myself to go and buy some clay and just start playing. And that led to me thinking about, okay, what do I want to do with this? Well, I love jewelry. I love making things. I love making jewelry. And that's an easy thing for me to do. I love going to festivals. Mm -hmm. So why not go to a bunch of festivals in the summertime and just learn and see what it's like, see how it feels, try it on, have the bravery to try something new, right? That's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what I did. And I just took one step. I went to my first show. It ended up being much bigger than I thought it was going to be. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I mean, but I, I signed up for it thinking, oh, this is going to be pretty small. It's at a school. I don't even know where the school is. Like I've never heard of it. It's not going to be that big of a deal. Ended up having like probably over a hundred vendors at this fair. It was huge. Wow. And I had no idea what I was doing. It was my first event. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky to have the experience at my very first vendor event where someone came over to my table. I still think about her every single time that that I think about these things when I first started my business. She came over to my table and she said, I get it. I love this. I want to buy everything on your table. I love it. And she was a stranger. Right. And she bought something from me. But that moment when you buy, when you make something that someone just, they understand it so deeply, they love what you're doing and you're adding value to their lives by making your art. Mm -hmm. It is just the most powerful experience. And I became kind of, you know, I've chased it. I, I love making jewelry that makes women feel beautiful. I love making pieces of art that add value to people's lives. So I started doing my art and um, I I still have that business and it's called Sam Kimberly Designs. So that's one facet of what I do. But of (laughs) course I keep experiencing, I keep, um, you know, experiencing different things and following my curiosity. So how did that lead into the group that you're running now? Yes. So when I left my, when I decided to finally leave my nine to five, um, I knew that it was going to be hard for me um, not having a community of people, of creatives 
um, that understood what I was doing because I was very involved in a community of people that did not understand Mm -hmm. what I was doing and the choices I was making with my life. So I, um, I had heard about The Artist's Way, which is a book oh, yes. by Julia Cameron. Mm-hmm. I had heard about it, and I had heard that it's a great book to read in community. So I did actually find a place to blog. I found a place to put my writing. It's called medium.com, mm-hmm. and that's still, I still write on Medium. Um, but it's really easy to start writing there. And so that's, I started writing there, and I wrote a post on Medium, I just said, I want to write, I want to read the artist way. And I want a group of 15 people maximum to read it with me. And strangers just started emailing me and saying that they wanted to join me. So I ended up with 15 people that I did not know in a group. And we all just started reading the artist's way together. And it was an amazing, beautiful experience. I bet. So that's, I, I, when we finished the artist way, I didn't want that experience to end. So that's when I created um, more book groups for this year. And I, I just never thought that it would be my main source of income or the main thing that I wanted to do with my life until I went to the glow retreat with Kathy Heller, who was mm-hmm. the don't keep your day job. I went to her, her women's only retreat. Um, just a couple of months ago. And I realized at that moment, when I went across the country to California, I realized at that time that doing this kind of work, creative work, working with people um, to release their creativity, um, to understand themselves as a creative person is really the work that I want to do. Boy, are you singing my song? Yeah. <laughs> you really are. It's funny because, you know, I um, I first encountered The Artist's Way back in 1996. I had been abroad for six months. And my brother, who's a couple years younger than me, had emailed me right before I came back. And he did not tell me, as I recall, he ordered me... <laughs> to go to the bookstore and, you know, pretty much as soon as I got home and buy a copy of this book, he's like, you are going to do this book. And I'm not sure now that I'm thinking about it, if I ever did the whole thing. Right. But, you know, I, cause I did not have a group and back in 1996, not quite so easy to find a group or even to realize that such a thing might exist. But, you know, just the concept of the morning pages which for people who don't know this book is she has you write three longhand pages every morning to sort of clear out your head and see what comes up and all that kind of stuff. I just, I find that so fascinating though. I'm much more of a do them in the evening to clear out my head so I can sleep kind of person, which I'm not sure how she would feel about that, but I'm also not sure I care. Um, (laughs) I think it's really just about getting the flotsam and jetsam out of your brain as much as anything else. And also the artist date, I thought was such a totally cool idea. But I had not thought about that book until about two weeks ago when I was visiting my brother. And there it was sitting on the end table in his living room. And I picked it up and I started flipping through it and just reading random bits of it. And I thought, oh my God, I forgot how good this book is. Because it really is amazing. Even if you just read the quotes that are in the margins, it's amazing. But the rest of it is totally phenomenal too. It is. And that's why we're doing it again this year. We're doing it again starting in August. And um, I, you know, the first time you go through it, it's so 
shocking kind of it's mm-hmm. it, it brings a completely different perspective to your life and after i got enough into it i realized that i wanted to do it again <laughs> i was like you yeah. know i could do it i can engage more here i could do more here i can really stretch myself next time to do this mm-hmm. and a lot of the people that I did it with felt the same way. Like uh, the fourth chapter, the fourth week of the artist way is reading deprivation week. And that was one of the things that I landed on the other week. And I thought this sounds so interesting. So do, do tell. <laughs> so I actually ended up writing an article about reading deprivation week and our experience doing it because in the original book, it's really just about reading in books and reading mm-hmm. articles and reading that kind of thing. But when I read it with our group, I said, you know, guys, I think that, you know, cause it was written so long ago, we didn't have social media when the book right. was written. And I was like, you know, we really need to expand this. There's no, we're not going to do social media. Like everyone's signing off of everything. If you're able to do that, that's what we're doing. You know, no Facebook, no Instagram, um, I did allow myself to have Pinterest, but mm-hmm. we limited, we completely erased or we limited our um, access to emails, no reading at all. And um, I wrote about that and the article was actually featured um, in a newspaper. So I have that um, as well, online publication. So what mm-hmm. I wrote was featured by someone else, but that experience, I, you know, and you know, I said, I allowed myself to have Pinterest, but what if mm-hmm. I didn't? Right. So those are the questions I started asking. What could I stretch myself more? Cause I was so afraid. I've, I had never taken any kind of social media break that wasn't in my realm of thinking. It completely stretched right. me my comfort zone. And you know, it's, it's funny because I mean, I read that and I've noticed in the last couple of years, you know, I used to read all the time and then I did my MFA and I've had a much harder time getting myself to read books since then, which sounds terrible and, and feels terrible, actually, when I think about it. And I think it's because for two straight years, I had to get my, through a book every week. There, It was not an option. It was like, I'm going to fall behind and or fail out to the extent that you can fail from Goddard, though you can fail from Goddard, um, if I don't get this stuff done. So I have to just like be inhaling books all the time. I read a ton of news and stuff like that now. And, and other things that I find that are interesting online, but to sit down and read a book, I find so much more challenging. And part of it, I think, is that everybody's attention span is fractured by looking at screens all the time. And, and part of it, I, I think, was the overload from that, which you would think would have passed by now. It was 11 years ago I finished that degree. But I also read a lot at work because I'm an editor during the day. So I'm proofreading stuff and all that kind of thing. But I keep, you know, especially in the last few days, I find myself thinking, what did we all do before we had mini computers in our hands or our pockets or our bags at all times? What did, what did we do? you know, trying to think back to when I had a computer with a dial-up connection and even before I had the computer, what did I do? How much TV did I watch? Probably more than I do now because I'd hardly watch any anymore. How many books did I read? How many, how much time did I spend with friends going out doing things, you know, even just on the phone with a friend if it wasn't convenient to go out? How much more human interaction was there? How much more thoughtful time was there with a book or with my own writing or with anything like that? Because I feel like compared to even 20 years ago, 
it's a completely alien world that we're in. And, and the whole, you know, I mean, reading deprivation is not quite the same thing as put away all your screens, but there, there's an awful lot of overlap there. Oh, there is. Absolutely. And I, and I feel like we've forgotten how to be in any purely human way without those things. I was watching a, a period drama with a friend of mine last night set in like the 1850s. And I had the same thought while I was watching it. It was like, you aren't distracted by screens. You are, you know, you have people who come to call because that's how you entertain yourselves and the newspaper. And you don't, you're not sitting here staring at all these things, especially the things that make you angry or cranky or, or whatever all the time. And I'm not always sure that we really have it better. I completely agree with you. <laughs> I completely you might. Agree with you. It's so hard. It's because we're so addicted to our screens too. It's mm-hmm. like a dirty blanket now that you know you walk around and you have this thing in your pocket that can distract you and numb you from any social experience that you might. Yes. And but there's a lot of cost. There's so much cost associated with it. And you definitely mentioned a lot of the big ones, but it's also just general fatigue. We're so Mm -hmm. tired. Reading all the time, just having content put in our faces all the time is exhausting. And I felt that just taking a couple of days off of it, you get energy from not having to make the decisions to click on Facebook. Am I going to look at my Facebook first? Am I going to look at my Instagram next? What am I going to, all of these micro decisions that we're making all the time, what am I going to read next? What am I going to ingest next? And if you just eliminate some of that, it really helps. Yeah. And, and with the decisions, there's, there is this phenomenon known as decision fatigue. And yeah, I, once I read about it, you know, it was like, oh, oh, I know what this is. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's not even just the, the social media stuff and the reading. I mean, it's everything, especially, you know, if you've got kids to take care of, if you, you know, have a house to take care of, it's, you know, anything that comes up like that. What am I going to do about this? Oh, look, now I have a flat tire. What am I going to do about that? And when you make the decision makes a difference and how many you've made, you know, your brain is just not wired for all of this. And then with social media, so much of it is is programmed to get a reaction out of you too. So it's like you've got that constant adrenaline burst going, you know, and I, I will admit that I recently deleted Twitter off of my iPad and my phone because I was like, this is making me crazy. This is making me want to do things that I really don't want to do and don't want to be. And I got to take a break from this for a while because I just, I can't deal with all the crazy. And I do think that they they bring out the crazy intentionally or otherwise. So, so yeah, I think, I think that whole reading deprivation thing and social media deprivation and how about just go out and have an actual social life with real people. I know. Rather, yeah, rather than this fake thing on the screen that we think is real, but really isn't. Right, right. And we have a lot of conversations about that too, um, because my community is virtual there's a huge benefit to that, you know, that we are able to connect with people all over the world. I have people mm-hmm. in my community, which I now call Creative Life Scholars. Um, I have people in my community all over the world. They're in Canada, they're in the UK, they're in Belgium, they're everywhere, which is fantastic because we get all these different perspectives. Right. But then we don't have a lot of connections with the people that are actually like next door or mm-hmm. down the street. 
we don't have those same kinds of connections. We were just talking about that. And I think it's really, it's interesting. Yeah. There's something, I don't, I don't know if it's the convenience of what's on the screen or if we're all just secret introverts, whether we already knew it or not. And it's so much easier to hide behind a screen though. As I'm saying this, I'm remembering back, back when I was an undergrad, which was 30 years ago. Um, I remember encountering the first thing that I ever found that was kind of like instant messenger. And, and even then, because I could see how drawn I was to the novelty of it. I remember thinking there's going to come a day when all we do is stay in one little room and all of our interactions are going to be on a screen and we won't remember how to be people anymore. And now that we're talking about all of this, I'm thinking, how close are we to that? It's not quite the little cubicle farm that I had in my head at that time. It looks more like real life, but it's not. I think we're way closer to that than, than we think. And I think, I think social interaction is a huge part of being creative. It's a huge part of being a full human being. How can you be creative if you're not a whole human being? I completely agree. And I, so I've been experimenting with this. I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking how I can bring what we're doing into real life and what we're doing into, you know, a a more organic um, way of, of communicating. And so I've come up with so far, I, you know, I do want to do more speaking engagements in, in real life and have potentially doing some meetups, but also I'm doing a retreat and it's a women's only retreat. Cool. So I'm really excited about that. Are you going to tell people they can't bring their phones? <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually, it's, a, it's in Western Maryland at Deep Creek Lake mm-hmm. and there isn't really great reception there. Oh, so it takes care of itself. <laughs> someone asked me, they're like, are we going to have reception? I was like, do you, what, what do you want the answer to me? Because if you don't want reception, you definitely don't have to communicate with anyone. Mm-hmm. That's how I want it to be. I want it to be a really intimate, it's a women's only writing retreat where we're going to be really digging into our stories and using writing as a tool to really understand ourselves better and tell our stories in a meaningful way. And we're going to connect with the environment because it's so beautiful there and just have a really beautiful, intimate experience. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Meeting people, there are a couple of people from the group that are going to be there. And, mm-hmm. um, we do have a couple of spots still open, but um, they're, clo- they're coming, clo- they're closing quickly. Um, <laughs> and that's another thing. People are spending more money and more time and resources on experiences. That's a huge thing right now because they want connection. People want to get out into the world. It's just, it's a real challenge. Yeah. And I think we've realized, because I know I've read a whole bunch of articles in the last couple of years about how we value experiences more than things. And I think a lot of us are realizing, you know, I have enough things. If I really need something, I'll go get it. But, you know, I frustrate my parents every year at Christmas because I say, I don't really need anything. Give me some money to go do something spontaneous and fun. Yes. You know, and they feel like they're not like they're just throwing money at me. And I'm like, no, this is something I might not get to do otherwise, whether it's go to a Doctor Who convention or go to a retreat or, you know, whatever. And yeah, I think there's so much value in that because, you know, it's kind of like, obviously, I haven't got to the end of my life yet, at least as far as I'm aware. I hope not. But I cannot imagine coming to that moment and saying, boy, I wish I had more things. Right. I wish I'd spent more money on stuff. 
I don't, I don't think anybody really does that. I think, you know, you get to that point and it's the things that you did and that you experienced that you're grateful for. Right. I mean, I don't, I've had the experience of having to go through a loved one's home who's passed Mm -hmm. and all of their stuff that they've left behind. And anyone that's had that experience, I mean, I watched my good friends go through it too with a whole house full of stuff. I mean, recently, most recently for me, it was just a condo, Mm -hmm. but just having to go through someone's possessions and dispose of them, because that's what ends up happening. You take what you want and what you can, but then you dispose of a lot of it. Mm -hmm. What are we really left with? We're left with our experiences and you know, all the stuff that we have and all the clutter that's all around us, it just means nothing in the end. Yeah. And, and, and you it's know, hard. it's hard for the, your loved one. It is. It. It's hard for everyone. And if you ever have to move, it's difficult then too. But, you know, I feel like, and, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to hear what you think about this, though. I sort of have a feeling I already know, but, but I feel like human beings have this amazing tendency to get addicted to the things that we really don't need or don't care about, but somehow we think we do. And I think, I think a decent chunk of it is the massive consumer culture that we live in. And the fact that things like Facebook and Twitter, Facebook in particular, from what I recall having read, but you know, all of it is designed to, to literally like get you addicted to the biochemical hits that you get when you look at it. And it's so easy to get hung up on all of that stuff and forget that what you really want to be doing is painting because you've always loved it or you know building stuff out of lego like you did when you were a kid or writing the book that you wanted to write or learning to play the guitar or the harmonica or the piano or whatever because you love making music i feel like we forget how much we love those things because it's so easy to be distracted by all the other stuff and i i'm just fascinated when i stop that and think about how quickly human beings seem to just fall into that trap. I do it as much as anybody else. And, you know, it it just astonishes me. It blows my mind. I think it's a lot of it for me anyway, has to do with the fact that I, you know, I feel like we've been fed the message. You are not enough. Yes. It, it, It comes from there and you're not enough. And then whatever I have to sell you is going to make you feel like you are enough. And then it never um, does. And it never does. But we just do this subconsciously. And we constantly are, okay, well, that thing didn't work. I'm going to find mm-hmm. the next thing. And that next thing, that one more shirt, that one more dress, that one more whatever is really going to make me feel like I'm enough. Yeah. And we just, we overdo it. We just keep going. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like addressing money mindset and our relationship to money is so important in being a creative too and living a creative life because those things become blocks. When you buy too much and you have too much in your house, it's distracting and it doesn't Mm -hmm. allow you to be as creative as you can be. So, and also, you know, being able to understand um, your relationship to money allows you to be a successful creative. So that's another reason I feel like having those conversations is so important to living a creative life. It's not just about making art. It's about understanding yourself and bringing your whole self to the table all the time, living your, your full self. Yeah. And I I love that you're saying it's not just about art. I mean, that's part of why I do this podcast, you know, and, and it's part of why 
I've interviewed a mathematician and a software engineer who also was a musician. And one of my favorite interviews is with my friend, the barber, who cuts hair all day and makes music every night, it, you know, in, in all sorts of different contexts. Because, it, you know, I feel like we, we just, we, we, we try to define creative as this art only thing. And it's not, you know, I wanted to talk to Robert Smith because I wanted to know what's creative about math because I will freely admit I am not a mathematician. I am not a math brain. I could do it. But to me, it was this purely left brain thing. So I sit there going, what the heck is creative about that? Please tell me because I know there must be something. And, you know, there is something creative to almost anything. Anything where you have to solve a problem requires some kind of creative thinking. And and I think part of the issue is just that we define creativity out of ourselves. We say, oh, no, no, I'm not creative. I'm like, I'm sorry, are you breathing? Then you're creative. Whether you call it that or not, you are. And maybe, you know, live it up and own it and stop putting this creative thing on this pedestal that you think you can't ever reach because you absolutely can. And you do it every day. You did it all the time as a kid. Everybody did. And then we forget how because we buy this myth that, oh, well, you're not creative. That's for these other people. It's a lot of, you know, how we were educated, too, and what our parents thought. And um, when I was reading Kathy Heller's book, the host of Don't Keep Your Day Job, she talks about education. And it just completely blew my mind when she said that the education system is really developed for factory workers. Yep. It's meant to make you into a factory worker. A good little assembly line worker. Yep. Yes. And when I read that, it just blew my mind. It completely changed my perspective. I've yeah. spent so much time in school mm -hmm. and um, it's just really fascinating to me to understand that and to, to really dig deep into that and um, understand my experience in school from that perspective. Yeah. And, and in fairness, it is changing, but it's changing fairly slowly. So, it, you know, I mean, you still have plenty of the people who can't deal with anything that isn't students in neat rows raising their hand to answer your question and, and that's it, move on. And, and in fact, you know, I used to teach kids from around the world, predominantly Asia, and we had trouble, you know, sometimes I had kids who wouldn't even look at me because you're not allowed to make eye contact with your teacher in Asia, you know, or at least in, in certain countries in Asia. And it's, it's like questioning the teacher is a sign of disrespect for the teacher. So you're never allowed to do that. And when they would come here, we'd be like, no, ask questions. What do, what do you need to know? And it would just absolutely freak them out. And I think that's probably starting to change too. It's 10 years since I've done that. And I know that, you know, China in particular has been concerned about their ability to develop new things rather than just to recreate what other people have done. So I hope that it's changed there too, because I feel like, you know, it, it does, it's, it's more than a factory worker. It's, it's, you're, you're, you're becoming that moving part that doesn't have to do anything, but just keep moving the other part that makes the machine go. And that's not human. That's, it's such a vital part of who we all are. And if we try to turn it off, it makes us miserable. It does. And that's why we have, so, I think that's really why we have so many people that are struggling with, I mean, it's not the only reason, but it's a, a factor. Sure. Why we have so many people that are struggling with depression and anxiety. Yes. Because they're not living their truths. They're not living the way, what they're supposed to be doing. They're not living their life's work. And 
you know, yeah. the only person that you need permission to do that is you. Yes. But, you know, it's so hard for us to give ourselves permission. It's so much harder than it is to give it to somebody else. And it seems to work so much better when someone gives it to us. I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And also, they're the same people that, you know, took it away. <laughs> you know, yes. The people, you know, we've got these people that have taken it away from us. And then we think that we need someone else to give it to us. It's so strange. Yeah. And then you sit there and you say to yourself, what's wrong with me? I'm not, you know, 15 and not able to make my own decisions anymore or five or whatever. But I think that just gets so beaten into us as kids that we need permission. And then for a lot of us, you know, the whole work environment is basically a glorified parent-child relationship. And so we feel like we need permission to do whatever it is that we want to do there, even if it should be obvious that we should be allowed to make that decision ourselves or whatever. And it, it just gets reinforced all the time. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I've been doing some work with human design. I'm not an expert in it, but I don't know if you have any experience with it. It's like, it's kind of like Myers-Briggs, just like, you know, Enneagram or any of those, okay. um, any of those tests that you take, but I, I really resonate with human design. Um, and I found out recently that I'm a manifester in human design and basically it's my nature to not like I am a visionary. I like to express myself. I like to have these big ideas and these big concepts. And I don't, I like to inform people of them. And I don't like people limiting me and my ideas. And that's what I'm supposed to be. That's how I'm meant to be. That's how I'm meant to show up in the world. Mm -hmm. So when I had that kind of experience where I felt like I was limited and I wasn't come, I wasn't showing up the way that I felt like I was meant to show up in the world. Yeah. It just, I couldn't do that anymore. I just couldn't yeah. do it. Once you find out, that, because that's like a huge form of permission, right? I took this test and it says this about me and I'm not crazy and this is what I'm supposed to do. And now I feel like I can go do it. Yes. Yeah. And once it, you feel like you have that permission, trying to stick yourself into somebody else's box is a lot harder. It is, really. I mean, all these events, you know, finding Kathy's podcasts, just all that self-discovery is mm -hmm. when you start to really understand yourself, it really gives you permission to do what you're meant to do and be yourself. But you have to start with understanding yourself and the school system isn't really designed for that. No. You, don't, you don't find out things about yourself really. I mean, I was lucky. I really was. I attended a private school. I went to an all girls school. There's a whole different subset of issues being a woman and facing these mm -hmm. Um, but I, I really was lucky in growing up in, you know, in a, in a very empowered environment. And, but I know that a lot of folks don't have that same kind of experience. I'm also, I'm dyslexic. So I, you know, the fact that I was able to progress so much in my career and in my education, and I love reading and I love intellectual conversation. Um, not all people that have my disability are able to say that, are able to do that. And, I, you know, I feel very lucky that I was able to grow up the way that I was. Um, but still, there were still those biases where it's like, okay, well, you're smart. So you, you don't, you don't need to be an artist. Don't go to art school. That will just limit you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, don't do that. F focus on the fact that you're smart, write, read, study, keep going in school. That's what you need to do. You need to just keep going. Yeah. And we get, you know, these messages that say, 
this thing is good enough. This other thing is not good enough because the whole myth of the starving artist, which is one of the things I love about Kathy Heller is that she figured out how to, you know, make some serious cash as a musician through a non-traditional path by licensing her music and figuring out how to, how to do licensing for other people. And, and here she is. And now she's so excited about what she's done that she wants everybody else to go do the same thing, which is how the podcast started. But you know, it's, it's like, yeah, if you're going to live in your little garret and you're just going to paint all day and never see another human being and never do anything else, you probably aren't going to sell many paintings because no one will know who you are and you will starve to death in all likelihood. But that doesn't mean that that's the only way to do this. And I, I feel like this all gets back into something you said a couple minutes ago about how we have these huge rates of things like depression and anxiety. There's, there's a Brene Brown quote that I'm not even going to try to replicate because I know I'll butcher it. But she basically says, you know, unused creativity doesn't fade away. It metastasizes into all of these other things because we're not doing the stuff that we're really here to do. And and I feel like, you know, all of these messages that we get, and I don't want to like put undue blame on schools because I've been a teacher and I know that teachers love to foster creativity in kids, but especially in a public school system where you have all of the testing standards and everything to meet, it can be really difficult to do that, especially if you've got 30 kids in a room and they're all into different things. You know, there are reasonable limits on that and parents often don't know how to do it. And so the kid is just kind of sitting here going, eh. or parents will say, that's not important. Your math score is more important because you have to get into Harvard, you, you know, and and then you lose all of these things. And I also feel like I need to be super clear that this does not mean that creativity cures depression and anxiety. It just can help to ward it off because anything that you do that's not, you know, letting you be yourself in any vein is is likely to land you there. But but yeah, I feel like we we put all of these limitations on each other that are just based in nonsense. I completely agree. It's really hard. It's, you know, the education system is really challenging. I um, have some experience and background uh, in that as well. And I, you know, it's, it is a huge challenge to educate all the people in this country. Mm -hmm. I imagine what it is to be a teacher right now. I know it's challenging. I have friends that are teachers and I, I, and, you know, I, respect what they do. I, it's, you know, it's really difficult. It's really yes. it's a challenge, but I think in hindsight, we can see what, at least what, you know, now, what, what, they, what were they were telling us? Right. And, um, we can learn from that. And I hope that they are, um, because, you know, for example, I, you know, my husband got the advice, get a degree in anything and you'll be fine. <sighs> you know, Anything and, that and, narrows it down for me. Thanks heaps guys. Right. Get, a, get a college degree in anything and you're going to be just fine. And thank goodness he is, but, <laughs> but that advice is just, you know, we got some very interesting advice um, growing yeah. up. And, and uh, it's all well-meaning, but that doesn't mean that it's any good. Right. Right. Which is why it's even more important to give yourself the permission to go do the things that everybody else told you you shouldn't do. But, but yeah. So I'm curious to know, since you started your creative scholars group, what, what surprised you that's come out of that group? People have been so empowered to make huge changes in their lives. 
first of all, I was surprised that anyone signed up for the artist way group. <laughs> like I just put something out there and 15 strangers came together. I literally knew one person, mm-hmm. one person from my own network joined and the rest of them were basically strangers to me, mostly strangers to me. And, um, So that was really surprising that there was this interest in joining this community. People are starving for opportunities to be really heard and seen and feel like they are a member of a community. We're losing that. We are losing, Mm -hmm. as we're scrolling on social media, we're losing the social aspect of social media because just scrolling is not social. That's not interaction. Yeah. It's so ironic that we call it that when that's really not what it is. Right. So, um, you know, I think that that has really surprised me that people have just made huge changes in their lives, changed jobs, changed homes, changed relationships with their partners, changed all sorts of things as a result of the work that we're doing together. I mean, I'm the facilitator. I organize all of this. I put the the books together with their input. But um, I'm doing it with them. It's mm-hmm. I'm just as much doing it as I, you know, I, as I am facilitating the experience. So um, I think it's that's it's just been really powerful to see how people are transforming from actually taking the time to do the books. So that people buy these personal development books and they get halfway. Mm-hmm. Or- Binge, listen to them. They don't do any of the activities or the suggested remedies for whatever they're going through. They just listen. They think, oh, that's a good idea. And then they put the book back on the shelf or they just keep listening to the audio book and they just forget about it. We go through the books chapter by chapter. Each week is one chapter. So you're just doing, focusing on one chapter each week. It's very slow mm-hmm. and really taking it in we're integrating these books into our lives so it's not just that experience of showing up at the end of the month and you have to read a book and be done with it right it's an integrative learning experience we're really taking these in and we're supporting each other i sign partners every week so it's not just the group meetings it's really you know we, you talk one on one with people i'm constantly talking one on one with people and really learning about them and their lives and their struggles it's not just you know the artist way is not just about the creative process it's it's so much deeper it's getting into your childhood you know i know so much about these people that have done this with me we've become so close mhm as friends. So it's it's way beyond just this online interaction. We've really become involved in each other's lives. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch and see what's happened. You know, I think you've hit on something that's so totally important. And I was nodding my head while you were talking because I know I've done it, which is the whole, I'm going to read the book and I'm going to read the exercise and I'm going to say, gee, that sounds really interesting. And then I'm going to turn the next page and I'm going to keep reading and I'm going to forget all about that interesting exercise because it sounds really interesting, but I'm either really, really busy or I'm in a place where I don't have the notebook right now. And so I can't really do the exercise or because I'm a little bit scared of the exercise. And so I'm just going to kind of pretend that it isn't there because I don't really want to do that right now. And it, yeah, I mean, it's it's like 
it's so easy to do that. And then you sit there and say, wow, that was an amazing book, but your life doesn't change. You go on just the way you were before and you've missed this great opportunity. And I'm trying not to beat myself up in my head while I'm saying this because I know how many times I've done it. And, you know, beating yourself up doesn't actually help solve anything. But, but yeah, I mean, I think there, there's, there's magic sitting in these books that you can't access if you try to pretend for whatever reason, uh, however intentionally or unintentionally, that it isn't there. You know, you have to actually do the thing. You know, you don't know where the morning pages are going to lead you if you don't ever do the morning pages. Right. And I know, like, I know for me, myself, I do eventually get to the point where I'll be like, okay, you know what? I don't have the energy to write three pages longhand this morning or this evening or whenever it is. And as soon as you let yourself not do it once, it's so much easier to let yourself not do it again. And, you know, and that's, it's different when it's not the same thing every day. There's a part of me that just reaches a limit with daily things, I think, and I'm not quite sure what that's about. One-off things are easier, right? Okay, here's this exercise in this book. I'm just going to do this exercise. It's going to take me half an hour and then that one's done. But I'm wondering, has, has anybody else in your group run into that where it's like, oh dear God, do I have to do the morning pages again? Or yeah. I don't have an idea for an artist date this week and I'm so tired and I'm just not going to do it. I mean, how have you addressed that kind of thing with your group? Right. So that's exactly what the group is for. We have... <laughs> We have a Slack environment where we keep in touch throughout the week when we're not doing our Zoom calls. We do a weekly Zoom call. There's actually two and you know each person is only um, kind of suggested to come to one, but you can come to both if you want. I go to both. I run mm-hmm. both. Right. Um, but during the week, you know, we have these different conversations going on about like, how are your morning pages going? And people will literally write exactly what you were just saying. Like, I am really struggling this week. I don't know how I can keep doing this. This feels so heavy to me. It feels like too much. So you're reaching out to community for that support. Oh, and then, you know, we get, you get responses. Can you just do one page? Can you just do one page? Mm. You know, and addressing those things when you, so it's, it's really encouraged that when you're struggling, you reach out, you know, I did it the other day, you know, I just said, sometimes this, this stuff is just hard, you know, and I wasn't that specific. I was just like, you know what, my life, it just being out there doing what I'm doing. It's hard sometimes. And I just needed the support from people to say, yes, it is hard. I understand And so, you know, whether it's related to the book or not related to the book, we're all there for each other. You know, people are moving, people are transitioning from different jobs. And sometimes they just, you know, people need to reach out and just say, you know what, today was hard. Today is really hard. And then we have a channel where we celebrate our wins too. And they don't have to be big wins, but, you know, we celebrate life together, whether it's the the things that are hard or the win, the big wins, the little wins, doesn't matter we're constantly looking and, and, and reaching out to one another for that support. And that's what this community is really all about. It's a beautiful thing that we're doing. It's really hitting me how, how much of my own issues with things like that are because I've tried to do them by myself as we're talking. It's so clear to me hearing you say this. And also, I feel like it's going back to that permission thing. Like, it's okay to be human. You know, you're not going to do it perfectly because we get so hung up on doing things perfectly. Absolutely. It's so true. true. 
And it makes it even harder for us to just reach out and do, just try something. So I, I'm always encouraging that perspective of play and mm-hmm. that perspective of curiosity and not making those assumptions that we, you know, when you're saying it out loud and someone else hears it, they can reflect back to you that you're making an assumption about the way that you're living, the way that you're seeing something. And when you're doing it on your own, you just don't realize those underlying assumptions that you have and to question them and to have curiosity about where they came from so that maybe you can address them differently or have different feelings about them. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that there's also, you know, kind of what we were saying before about education, but in reverse, you know, if you go and I, I have, two nephews who are seven and four. And last week I babysat one of them while he was homesick for a day, the little one. And we, you know, I mean, he wanted to play with Legos and he wanted to watch TV and I got him away from the TV after way too long, after my brain was oozing out my ears. Cause there's only so much anime that I think you have to be under 10 to understand that Auntie can take. But <laughs> we started playing soccer in the kitchen. They have this little soccer ball and they do this all the time. So I was trying not to feel bad about the ball slamming into the cabinets. <laughs> but I looked at him at one point because of course we had the typical fight over, ha, I scored. And he would say, no, you didn't. It hit over here. And I'd say, yes, it did. I saw it. It went the whole way along there, you know? And at one point I just looked at him and I said, do we know who's winning? And he just looked at me with this perplexed four-year-old face. that was like, you could almost see it on his face. Like, I have no idea. And I don't know what to say now. And, and I said, do we care? Cause I thought, I don't really care. Do you really care? You know? And he just looked at me and he said, three to three. <laughs> I was like, We'll make it up. We'll make it even. It's all, it's all okay. But you know I mean? He really didn't care. It's about playing the game. It's not about who's winning the game. It's, I mean, yes, you get excited when you score, but it's about making it up and playing and having fun. And and we forget how to do that because of all of the crazy school stuff and the being perfectionists. And and I think so many of us are undiagnosed perfectionists, even those of us who think we're not. I didn't know I was until I did coach training and said, oh, crap, that's me. Um, you know, yes, and, and I think, you know, if we if we could remember how to be four. And I think sometimes it takes watching someone who is four. And and just say, you know, the whole point of this is just to have fun with it. It's not to get hung up on who wins. We're just having fun. We're just knocking a ball around. And I know I said he was sick. He really wasn't that sick by then, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, it was just, it's just like, we're, we're just having fun. We're doing something that is not watching crazy cartoons that make no sense. And And letting that energy come out. And, you know, I mean, we all, we sit at desks all day, you know, we sit at desks, we sit in our cars, we go to the grocery store, we take care of paying bills and we don't just go play soccer in the kitchen and decide we don't care about the rules or about who's winning. Right. Because we don't know how to have fun. It's like you were saying before about play. Yeah. So part of Kathy's book, um, I forget what chapter it is now, but she asks people to play. It was, it had to have been one of the first four chapters. It was probably like chapter three or four. It doesn't matter. Anyway, she asked people to play, go play. That's like one of the activities in the book. And so we were talking about this in my group and people were saying what they were going to do to play. 
And I realized at that moment that people don't, adults don't understand what it is to play. Mm -hmm. They don't understand what it is to laugh and have that kind of laughter where it's just silly play in your life. And so that's why, um, you know, I go off of what's going on in the group and I created a challenge for February. It was called the laughing challenge. (laughs) And I created a whole environment in our Slack environment where we were sharing different things that were making each other laugh. That was the whole point of it, just to have more experiences of deep laughter and to really take note of what, how, and when you were laughing and to bring more of that into your life. You know, people were talking about how January was like 700 years long and (laughs) felt like the deepest, darkest, longest month. And I completely agree. So then, you know, taking all of that in, I realized that this is what the community needed. So I'm constantly doing that this month. I'm challenging people to declutter because I've been really working on that in my life too. So I created a Facebook group for the Creative Life Scholars, and I'm inviting all, you know, everyone in my community, everyone that I know into this group so that we have a bunch of people supporting us and supporting each other to declutter this month. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying to think about monthly challenges, um, which started really with the energy challenge. Um, I listened to Kathy Heller's podcast and um, Alex Benayan was the guest. And Alex Benayan is the author of a book called The Third Door, which I am totally obsessed with. I think he is <laughs> remarkable. Um, but he said that in his interview, this isn't actually part of the book. He just said this in his interview. If you take 30 days and you answer these three questions every night before you go to sleep, you will learn a lot about yourself. You will have direction and clarity. So the question, three questions are, um, what energized you today? What depleted you of energy? And um, what did you learn about yourself? And you have to answer those three questions for 30 days. So we do that every six months. It's just a practice that I've developed now. And I invite people, whoever wants to join me to do, to do that. So these monthly challenges have kind of started that way. And I do these little challenges. I, you know, I, I, we read the books and then I'll ask people to do a little extra. Mm -hmm. Whoever's ready to do a little extra can do a little extra maybe that week. Um, And it's never required, but you know, it's just offered. And I, I like to offer that to people because it creates a different experience. Right. Really makes it meaningful. It's something that you wouldn't get just reading the book on your own for sure. That's amazing. I have to admit I'm way behind on her podcast, but I'm going to go back and find that one now. <laughs> so he's actually <laughs> twice on her podcast. There's a more recent interview with him, but this was the first one. So this okay. was months ago. I don't even know how many months at this point. Um, but it is a really fantastic episode and he is remarkable. Are you familiar with him? No. So the th- if you don't mind me. Do you no, mind? go ahead. So um, Alex Benayan is um, really actually fairly young. He was in school um, to become a doctor and that's what he wanted. his parents wanted him to do. And he just wasn't resonating with it. And, um, you know, he had been talking to his friends about education generally. And he asked them, if you could be educated by anyone in any topics, who would they be? So Lady Gaga for music. That's who we wanted to learn music from. We wanted to learn about economics from Gary Vaynerchuk, I think it was. I might be getting mm-hmm. something wrong. But anyway, so he wants to interview all these people. That's what he wants. He wants to learn from the best. That's what he wants. 
And so he gets this opportunity to go on the prices right <laughs> right before his exams for college. He gets the opportunity to either study for his exams or go on the prices right. And he instead decides to go on the prices right. He's never even really seen an episode of the prices right. He just decides to go on it. He ends up winning the prices right. This is not spoiling it because there's so much more to his story. I'm just mm-hmm. gonna he ends up winning the prices right. He wins all the money, quits school, and decides to go on this adventure, five-year adventure, finding all he's a no one. He's a college kid. He ends up interviewing Lady Gaga. He interviews Bill Gates. He inter- he's like, he is amazing. He's no one. And he interviews all these people. He gets to spend time with all these people. And he he calls it the third door because he says that there's always three doors to get into some, he, he, he likes, he likens life to a club. Anywhere that you want to get in with gatekeepers is like a club. There's the main door where everyone's standing in line and it's really unlikely that you're going to get in that way, but that's how most people spend their lives just Mm -hmm. time in that long line. There's the line that celebrities get to use. And if you're a normal person, like, you know, us, we don't get to use the celebrity line. And then there's always a third door. There's always the, a, a way to get in that's not the two obvious ways. And it might be, you know, watching for the window to open and sliding the window open and crawling in or, you know, whatever it takes. But there's always some other way. If you've got your eyes open for it, there's some other way to get in that door, get in that environment with the people where you want to be in that club. And so it's just hugely inspirational. That book is amazing. Um, I recommend it to everyone. It's fantastic. All right. Well, I'm going to have to add it to my list for sure. So how do you take that idea and use it, if you use it in your group? How have you guys applied it? That's a really good question. Um, I think it, I I haven't explicitly applied it. It's probably impacting me um, subconsciously, but I think it goes back to permission again. It's like everything seems to be about permission, doesn't it? (laughs) Right. Like I act, you know, you have to just, you have to be able to live outside of expectation and take the, take everything into your own control, into your own hands. And I think his book is such a fantastic example of that. He was supposed to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. living this life of, you know, chasing these people down that he wanted to be in their presence and learn from, he really took his own path. And I think that um, he's just another example of making it. You can do it. We can all do it. If that's what, if you have a strong enough conviction within you to be able mm-hmm. to do it. All right. That's a lot to think about. And I'm I'm wondering too, before we wrap things up, you know, we talked about how your group has impacted the people who are in it. How has it impacted you? Well, I never thought that this could be what I was doing main, main, my main thing, right? Mm-hmm. My focus. And um, it's really made me see that what I'm doing is extremely valuable for people. They resonate with my message. They resonate with this idea of um, living creatively. And a lot of people have that same problem that you were talking about that we were talking about before, just picking up a book and not really learning from mm-hmm. it. And um, I, 
I feel like it's just, I'm trying to serve. I think that that is a huge um, message that we're, that we're all trying to give in the way that we're meant to. Right. And for me, I feel like I've really found that thing in doing this group in fine, in creating creative life scholars. I've really found the, the voice that I didn't have before. I found the thing that I'm supposed to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm growing it. And I never thought that that was possible. And um, I'm so grateful for people that are supporting me, um, people in the community. And um, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's really, I, I'm just so passionate about what I'm doing and I, I love it. And I feel like it's filling my life with meaning and um, you know, I get on those calls and I'm just as vulnerable as anyone else. I don't, I'm not holding myself over or above anyone. Mm-hmm. And I just, we just get into these amazing conversations that I'm so grateful that I get to have with people and I get to learn their perspectives and what, what they, what makes them tick and what they're going to go on and do and have, you know, that validity, that that permission that they feel like they need to have to continue to do what the, what they're doing. We get to support each other. We get to watch each other grow. Even when we take steps backwards, we get to watch each other grow. And I think it's amazing. It sounds amazing. And I think, you know, the, the steps backward is important. I think sometimes that's part of growing. I think you, you can't always just move forward. Sometimes you learn more when you move backward. I, I definitely, I mean, I think, and also growth is not comfortable. Right, ain't <laughs> that the truth? <laughs> you can't live in these comfort zones and grow. And mm-hmm. so, if we're going to be uncomfortable and we're going to be, you know, facing all these difficulties, isn't it so much better to have people around you to support you? I think that's basically the whole premise of what I'm doing. I just what? And and you talked about that at the beginning, how you did not originally have that kind of community and how having it makes such a big difference. And I think that's true. I mean, the people that I talk to, yeah, I've talked to people who were not supported by their friends or their families or whatever with, with whatever it is that they're doing now, at least at first. And I've talked to people who were. And the difference that it makes for the people who were is immense. It's absolutely immense, you know, because they don't have to struggle against what everybody else is telling them. They don't have all these ideas programmed in their head or they're not programmed in as deeply because they're not hearing them over and over again from people who just keep saying, no, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't be that. You shouldn't whatever. It's huge. So it absolutely follows that if you can create your own community or join an existing community that's going to help you with that, you're going to get a lot more out of it and you'll progress a whole lot faster. Absolutely. And you just reminded me, I just finished um, reading Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, I love that book. It's so (laughs) so good. But she talks, am I allowed to use curse words? Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> about the shit sandwich. Yes. And you know, everyone has to eat a shit sandwich. Whatever you're doing comes with a shit sandwich. And it's just what flavor of shit sandwich, you know, every, everything that you want to do, whether it's, you know, if it's writing, you're going to be rejected. And that's the shit sandwich that you're going to have to eat over and over and over again. And if you're, if you don't like the flavor of that shit sandwich, then you just can't be a writer. You just can't keep going. So, you know, we're all, we, we have to understand that and empathize with one another 
and um, really figure out what it is that we're, we're willing to tolerate in, in the art and what we're willing to invest our time and, and emotions in. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you're saying that, you're also reminding me of one of the things that drives me crazy about writing advice. And I have to imagine that it happens in other fields too, that I just don't have as much experience with, but you know, the, when we're talking about permission, there's the whole idea, especially in writing communities. So you've probably encountered this too, where, you know, writers write and writers have to write every single day. And if you don't write every single day, you're not a real writer. And every time I see somebody say that, and I think a couple years ago, it was on LinkedIn, I think. And I, I got so upset about it that I wrote a whole blog post about why that's just bullshit. Because yes, if your job is to write, then you have the luxury of sitting down and writing every day, even if it's only for five minutes. Now, if your job is to write, you're probably going to do way more than five minutes. But if you're a normal person who isn't a writer, because let's face it, not all writers are normal people. <laughs> <laughs> I took a course from Nancy Springer when I was in high school and she said, one of the great things about being a writer is that people expect you to be weird. But, you know, if you have a day job and have to go to the gym, have to take care of your kids, have to go to the grocery store, have to, you know, clean the house, all of that, there are going to be days when you just can't write because there's no time. And the people who make you think that you have to stay up and write drivel because you are too tired to write something coherent or get up at four o'clock in the morning so that you have even less energy the next day when you get home or, or whatever, because then you are not a real writer, make me want to scream and throw things. If you write, you're a writer. It doesn't matter. It, it, you, know, you don't have to reach somebody else's yardstick. You only have to get to your own. And ideally, yeah, you want to write more often than you don't write. But you squeeze it in when you can. It might be five minutes today and two hours tomorrow. But that's fine. It's better than, you know, if you're going for six months without writing anything or three years, you might want to rethink what you're doing. But if you manage to write a couple times a week for 10 minutes, you're a writer. Yes. I don't care if it's good. I don't care if it makes sense. But if you've done it and you've put words on a page, you're a writer. And the whole judgmental, superior, hierarchy-making thing that people do is so incredibly destructive. And people believe it and take it seriously. And it does ruin them. It, it lands them in that space where they feel like they don't have permission and they can't do it their way and they're not good enough and just compounds the whole thing. So I can't remember now how I got onto that, but <laughs> it is, as you can tell, a bugaboo of mine. It really does drive me nuts. Like, no, live and let live. Do your thing your way. Let other people do their thing their way. And it doesn't matter. It's playing kitchen soccer with the kid. You know, do we know yeah. who's winning? Do we care that we don't know who's winning? Are we having fun? That's the point. We're having fun. We're trying something. We're learning something. Who cares about the rest? I completely agree. Couldn't agree with you more. Somehow I had a feeling you would. <laughs> Is there any other advice or anything else that you've learned from running this group that you would like to share with listeners before we go? Um, well, I think that just follow your curiosity. I mean, I think that's been a theme in my whole thing that I've said here in my life. And I just, like I said, I never thought that this was going to be my main 
thing that I was doing with my life. And it's really been pretty recent that I've been able to really expand that and see now how it can be. And I'm still really in the beginning phases of it. Yes, I do have this book club, book group that's kind of good. It's not a club. It's really a book group that's mm-hmm. going on for the entire year, different ones. And I still do have some availability in the upcoming groups. But um, it really started with curiosity and allowing myself to just do this for fun and not have any pressure. There was no pressure to do this. It was just something that I wanted to do for myself and then ultimately from the community. And I think that when you're listening to the people and seeing the people that, you know, are you're serving and you're, you're providing services for, or you're providing um, anything for, when you really listen to them and um, take everything that they have, you know, give to you into consideration and process it and come out with something that you feel like will resonate, um, you know, and even if it's not making money, it's not making money, you know, take the pressure off of yourself mm-hmm. sometimes um, is a good thing too. But I just followed my curiosity to get here. And I didn't pay her to say that as many times as she said it during this interview. (laughs) (laughs) It's so important to the the creative process. It really is. And that's why the podcast and the businesses are called what they're called. Because I really think if you, like you said, if you follow what you're interested in, you're going to land somewhere. And I, I just want to underline the point about lowering the pressure because I think that's super important too. Pressure just gets in the way. It doesn't, doesn't help. Pressure and expectations can wreck something before they even get started. Right. You don't have to monetize everything. No. Right. So I am, I'm a poet. And I, right now, like at one point, I thought that that was going to be something that was going to be more central in my life. And maybe in the future, it will be. But right now, my poetry is just for me. It's just, I put it out there into the world, but it's not bringing, I'm not publishing it in a book. I'm not, mm-hmm. it's just fun. It's something that I do. It's something that I bring to the world just because I like to make the art of poetry. And I still, I'm, I sculpt things for myself. You know, I, I do all sorts of things that are just for me because I want to. And I think that that is really important to do as an artist. And and that's a good enough reason to do them too. Yes. I think a lot of us think that it's not, but it really is. I want to because I enjoy it is all the reason you really need. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so go forth and do something you really want to do just because you did want to do it is yeah. the lesson from today among many, many others. Thank you so much. This has been a fabulous conversation. This was wonderful. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. That's it for this week. Thanks so much to Sam Kimberly for joining me and to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review. I really appreciate it. Thanks. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.